message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Fantastic to be back here this morning and uh, to be sharing God's words with you. Just before we get into that, I don't know if any of you listen to uh, the Sunday program on Radio 4. Any of you, any Radio 4 listeners in this morning? Why do you listen to it this morning? There's a very interesting article this morning, because it's Palm Sunday this morning, to today. The article they were sharing uh, on their news program this morning uh, was about a problem there has been this year with a lack of donkeys. And how many churches have been uh, after donkeys for their Palm Sunday processions. And actually there's been cases of donkey rustling around the country and donkeys have gone missing from sanctuaries and farms up and down the land. And various churches have been accused of stealing donkeys from other locations. So uh, significant has the problem got, uh, got this year that some churches have started to use animals other than donkeys. Uh, for example, llamas have been used in some Palm Sunday processions even today, and there was one vicar that was interviewed on the program who was uh, bemoaning the fact that liberalism in the church today had now got to the state of not donkeys, but llamas or any animal will do. And it was then I realised what the date today was. But it was a good piece nevertheless. Some of you didn't realise what the date was until I just told you. But we don't have any donkeys, uh, we don't have any Palm Sunday's processions this morning, so I'm sorry about that, and no llamas either which is probably good. But we do have the next passage in Luke chapter 3. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you'd like to find Luke chapter 3, please, and turn to it. We'll be reading some verses together. And the passage that we're going to look at this morning is about John the Baptist. As his nickname, really, he wasn't sort of called that, I don't think, to his face necessarily, um, but that was his nickname, is John, he is baptising people, and um, that was his nickname. And John's job was to prepare the way for the Lord. That was his task in life, that was the mission that God had given him. And we've already seen about his supernatural birth in, uh, in Luke chapter 1. And uh, last week, Kevin looked at the passage in, at the end of Luke 2, uh, where we get to, to know a little bit about what happened when Jesus was around the age of 12. And Kevin looked at that passage last week. So this is some 18 years later. So the Bible is silent on those 18 years, really. We're not told a great deal about what Jesus did between, uh, in fact, his, well, his birth and the age of around 12, and then between 12 and some 18 or so years later when he started his public ministry, other than one small verse in uh, in Luke chapter 2, at the end of Luke chapter 2, it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and men. It's a great little verse, isn't it? It's so easy to miss it. Easy to look at the uh, story of Jesus being presented in the temple, then the boy Jesus around the age of 12, uh, again listening to the teachers uh, in the temple. And we get into chapter 3 about John the Baptist. It's easy to miss that verse, but it tells us that Jesus grew. And he grew in wisdom and stature, both and in favour with God and men. And you see, the Bible does assume growth. It assumes growth uh, in our lives as Christians. 
Actually, it's very natural for a healthy living thing to grow. It's what you expect it to do, isn't it? I wonder, just before we get into the passage we can look at this morning, let me ask you, are you growing in wisdom and in stature and in favour? I wonder if you look back over the last few months or year or so, are you growing in that way? The Bible's expectation is indeed that we are. Let me throw that challenge out to you as we start this morning. Now let's read some verses together from uh, Luke chapter 3. And we'll see what uh, God has for us this morning. So Luke chapter 3, verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and Traconitus, and Licinius, tetrarch of Albini, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. John says to the crowds coming out to be baptised by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, The man with two tunics should share with him who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptised. Jesus, they asked, What should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, What should we do? He replied, Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptise you with water, but but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Stop there. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, our chance to gather this morning. We thank you for the celebration of Palm Sunday. We thank you for being with us as we worshipped you. We thank you for your presence. And Lord, now as we spend these moments together looking at your words, we pray for your presence once again. Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit would open up your word to us. Lord God, would it come alive in our hearts now? Would you be our teacher, please? Would, you, would we understood what we've read? Would you apply it to our lives? God, I pray you'd be with me now. Help me to communicate what is on your heart this morning in order that we might, each of us, encounter you afresh, be encouraged, challenged and grow this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. 
Okay, so let's look at the passage together. There's a few things I want us to pull out as we uh, spend these moments looking through it. But you'll see there in uh, Luke chapter 3, it starts off in verse 2. We're told that the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah. So let's be clear here, this was not his idea. This was God's word that came to him. It's not that John woke up one day and thought, well, I've been wondering what I'm going to do with my life, and I suppose I could be a prophet. I suppose I could get into this locust and honey-eating malarkey, and uh, yeah, I could do that, I suppose. We'll give that a shot. There was none of that. It's very clear, this is God's word that came to John, and he is just delivering faithfully what God has given him to deliver. It's God's word. John is often called the, the last of the Old Testament prophets, even though we read about him in the New Testament. It's the end of that era, of the prophetic line. And he's saying to the people, get ready. Get ready, because the Christ is coming. So we've said already his nickname was John the Baptist because he was out in the desert uh, preaching a baptism of repentance. So he was encouraging people to repent and then baptizing them as a a sign about that. And then in verse 4 to 6, you get these uh, wonderful words from Isaiah the prophet. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in every mountain and hill made low. Memories of Handel's Messiah. There, if you've heard that, based on that uh, wonderful passage. And Isaiah was looking forward to the time when this guy called John was going to come. And he was there preparing the way for Jesus to come. One of the commentators, uh, Hendrickson, talks about this passage and uh, he looks at various different meanings. He, he you know, looks at this passage my Isaiah, so it could mean this, could mean uh, the other, and sort of takes it apart a little bit. And then he says this, after doing that, he says, it's also possible that these expressions pertain only to the underlying figure of an approaching king and have no further significance. The meaning then would simply be by God's grace, remove every obstacle in the way of the entrance of the Lord into your hearts and lives. Be converted. And that's the heart of what those few verses are talking about. By God's grace, remove every obstacle in the way of the entrance of the Lord into your hearts and lives. Be converted. And he talks about a king that's approaching Interesting, on Palm Sunday we're talking about earlier the king entering into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. A king came. And John's there in the desert preaching saying, the king is coming, get ready. Get ready because he's coming. Make the road straight, make your hearts right before the Lord. Prepare the way for Jesus to come. But John's also quite a challenging figure, isn't he? Because you read through the passage here, in verse 7, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, a viper is a small desert snake. would have been quite common if John was living there in the desert. And the vipers were quite clever. They could make themselves look like dead branches. So they wouldn't notice they were there and then suddenly, bang, they'd go for you. 
What's John saying here? What's he saying? He's challenging the people who are coming out. He's, he's challenging, saying, looks can be deceptive. You might think it's just a dead, dead branch, and then suddenly you find out it's a viper that has attacked you. John's clear. He's saying there should be fruit that goes along with repentance, in keeping with repentance. So clearly there were those who were going out to John, listening to his message, getting baptised, and then obviously nothing really changed. They listened to the message, got baptised, and then it seems went on their way. Maybe for them it was just show. Maybe it was just an outward thing and nothing had changed on the inside. There were not hearts being changed here. There was just someone being dunked in some water. So clearly there was no real repentance for these individuals that John is referring to. You see, John's looking for more than words. He's looking for lives that are changed. He's looking for fruit that demonstrates that repentance has happened and is indeed ongoing. You see, going forward to be baptised by the slightly eccentric, possibly some would say slightly mad prophet who was living out in the desert there, well, that was the easy part, actually. The harder part was continuing in a lifestyle of repentance before the Lord. The harder part was continuing in a relationship with God. The easy bit was going out to get baptised by John. Actually, the same is true for us now, isn't it? Think about it for just a moment. For somebody who may, this may apply to some of you, who have gone through a course such as Alpha, and you've explored what it means to be a Christian, and at the end of it, you've made a decision to say, you know what, I'm going to respond to Christ's invitation and give my life to him. Maybe you put your hand up or came forward at a guest service one day, and you responded to Christ's invitation for relationship with you that may have felt hard it may have been a tough decision that you made but listen the harder thing actually is the ongoing life but the good news as we'll see is it's not something that has to be done in your strength it's not about your effort here we'll see as we go on this morning So John is looking for ongoing fruit in people's lives and the same would be true for us as well. You see, it's not about conversion, but rather John would say, and I would echo this morning, the question is about discipleship. It's about discipleship. So if you're making notes, maybe write that down. It's about discipleship. Jesus called disciples, didn't he? He went to people and said, follow me, follow me. And he wasn't just saying to people, make a decision. Sign the dotted line and uh, make a decision. But rather he was looking for something that was ongoing. Not a momentary decision, but ongoing life and fruits. You see, a disciple follows. It's so important we understand this because it applies to us as well. It doesn't just apply to those that John was preaching to. It doesn't even just apply to those that Jesus called to himself. Because it applies to us now. Jesus still calls us the same. He says, follow me. And so it isn't just about making a decision at the end of a course, putting a hand up or going forward at a meeting, but rather it's about following Jesus on an ongoing and daily basis. It involves every area of your life. 
And you may have been a Christian for many years. You may have thought, well, you know what? I became a Christian years ago. How does this apply to me, you might say? Well, it applies to you just as much as it applies to the person who might have responded to Jesus yesterday. Because being a disciple is a daily decision. Being a disciple is a daily choice that you make. You choose to follow Jesus on an ongoing basis. Every time you wake up in the morning, you sort of roll out of bed, and it's in that moment, as you take your first waking breath of the day, that you make a decision to follow Jesus. Are you going to be faithful to him on that, on that day? You probably make countless decisions even going through the day. Whether to follow Jesus in a particular moment or to go your own way. Being a disciple is an ongoing thing. So let me ask you, are you a disciple? Are you a follower of Jesus? You see, a disciple gets to know their teacher, spends time with their teacher, copies their teacher. Are we following the Lord? Are we spending time with him in his word, in prayer, in in solitude? Are we seeking to copy his example to us? Let's be very, very clear. It's not those actions that bring salvation. Okay, It's not by reading your Bible or praying or even trying to copy Jesus that brings salvation. But rather those things are fruit of a life that is following Jesus. Jesus calls you to follow him. And as an outworking of that, changes happen in your heart and in your life. And so you want to spend time with the Lord. You want to spend time in his word and in worship and in prayer and uh, with other people who are doing the same. So it's not that those things save you, but rather they are fruits of a life that is caught up in following Jesus. Now, we can help one another in this. So we've talked about Alpha as an example, that uh, a course that introduces people to Jesus, what it means to, to follow him, what it means to be a disciple, if we're going to use that word this morning. We run a foundations course, that's, again we're starting one uh, shortly after Easter, for people who are new Christians, want to know a little bit more about what it is to follow Jesus, and having made a decision to follow him, how to put some of those things into practice in their lives. That's a really good thing to do. If you haven't done that and you're a new Christian, I'd encourage you to to sign up to that. Talk to me about it afterwards. But ultimately, you see, they're just helps. They're things that help you to follow Jesus, to be a disciple. Ultimately, it's your decision. So are you a disciple? Are you following him? Are you following the Lord? See, John went on and he kept coming back to this issue of fruit. John talks about fruit of repentance. So in verse 8 it says, produce fruits in keeping with repentance. And in a few verses after verse 10 there, John argues that there needs to be fruits. He argues that true repentance actually produces true fruits. And he's looking for these things in the lives of those people that are listening to him. So just as a healthy plant produces fruit, just as a healthy fruit tree will produce fruit for you at the right time, a healthy Christian should also produce fruit. So just to underline it again, it's not that fruit that saves you. The fruit is the outworking of repentance. It's the outworking 
of a life that is following Jesus. It's the result of a heart that has been changed. So John gave some examples to help his listeners. So he talks to the well-off, those who have two tunics, those who have food. He says, share, because your heart has been changed. He talks to the tax collector and says, be honest. Why? Because your heart has been changed. He talks to the soldier and says, don't extort money. Why? Because your heart has been changed. So it's not those actions that save these people, but rather they are the fruit, they are the result of a heart that has been changed by the Lord. So what about you? What fruit should be visible in your life? I'm not sure if we have any soldiers or tax collectors this morning. You might say, well, how does it apply to me? Well, think about it for a moment. What's the fruit that Jesus would look for in your life? I've been reading through um, Ezekiel recently. And Ezekiel, and in Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel prophesies to Israel. He says this, this is the Lord speaking to Israel. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You hear what God's saying there. It's something that he does, that he is doing, giving a new heart, putting a new spirit in you. You see, too often, Christianity can move from being a living relationship full of life and vibrancy with the Lord to rather just being a a sanctified, moralistic set of rules. Actually, preachers can fall into the trap of just preaching Christian moralism and being nice and being good rather than encouraging their hearers to find life and grace in the Lord himself. So we need to be clear about this. We need to understand it well. You see, even in the Old Testament, it's really clear. Just in this passage in Ezekiel here. It's God who gives the new heart. It's God who takes away the heart of stone and gives the heart of flesh. It's God who puts his spirit in you and moves you and leads you and guides you and helps you to follow him. It's by his grace that he does it. It's him that does it. It's his energy. It's his life. It's his grace that comes to you to help you to follow him. So the fruit that John describes comes as a result of all these things, not in order to achieve it. So John spoke to the well-off, those with uh, two tunics, to spare food, for example. Jesus also spoke to the well-off. He spoke to the rich man and said it was hard for him to enter the kingdom of God. Mark 10, verse 23 says that Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Why is that? Is money bad in and of itself? Well, no, it's not, but it can very easily corrupt. It can become a driving force in your life. It can take the place that really only the Lord should have in your life. Actually, the reality is that the vast majority of us in this country would be classified as rich. We're well off. There's a website, globalrichlist.com. Maybe you've come across it. You can enter your salary into it how much you earn, and it will tell you how your salary compares to the rest of the world. 
So if you're on £14,000 a year, you'll find yourself in the top 10% in the world. If you're on £26,000 a year, you'll find yourself in the top 1% in the world. You can work it out for yourself how you fit globalrichlist.com. So what's the fruit that's called for here? What's the fruit that's called for here? Well, John makes it clear. It's generosity. It's a heart that's moved. Not in order to obtain salvation, but as a result of God coming to you. And a fruit, a result of what he's done in your life. So how are you doing with generosity? How is your heart? Paul also talks about fruit of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you recall the passage in uh, Galatians chapter 5. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And again, it's not fruit that you know, try and work hard to produce. Think, oh, okay, is that a fruit? I've got to be more loving, got to be more joyful, uh, got to be, uh, what else am I going to be? More patient, got to be more peaceful. And you try and sort of work hard at these things with your effort. No, no, no. Paul says it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the result of God at work in your life that he produces these fruits in your life. God does it. It's not about you trying to be more loving or peaceful or joyful. It's about you getting closer to Jesus and as a result of that, these things happening. You could end up thinking, if you're not careful, that the Christian life is about trying to be more of these things. That's not what the Bible teaches us. See, your effort will never save you. It's about you receiving God's grace, following him, and in those moments, allowing the Holy Spirit to produce these fruits in your life. See, God's grace isn't just for salvation. It isn't just in that moment when you respond to the work of Jesus and follow him, but rather God's grace comes to you on a daily, even hourly basis. It's not just about the point of decision. It's about the point of discipleship. You allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. You allow God's grace to flow through you. It's not just for that moment initially when you follow Jesus. It's for every day, every moment of your life on an ongoing basis. It's about relationship with the Lord. Okay, we need to, uh, to press on. So we've looked at, uh, we looked at fruit. Before that, we uh, looked at discipleship. But let's look at fathers. I forgot to tell you earlier, this, this message was entitled Discipleship, Fruits and Fathers. So we've got two fathers. Verse 8 of Luke chapter 3. John speaks to those who are listening to him and says to them, don't say we have Abraham. Don't say we have Abraham. What's he saying here? Well, you see, the Jews would say that their father, historically in the faith, was Abraham. And indeed, that's true. He was. But the trouble is, some of them thought that because of their heritage, because Abraham was their father, because they were in the Jewish line, that they would be saved. Well, they were wrong. They were relying on their heritage to save them. And John was very clear to them. Don't say 
We have Abraham. It's not about that. Actually, the same could apply to us, couldn't it? We, we could say, well, we live in a Christian country. Well, that's perhaps harder to say than it was 30 or so years ago. But you could say, well, I was brought up a Christian or I went to Sunday school as a child or, you know, I learnt about some things at school or in assemblies. And, uh, you know, you could say all these things that, you know, I, you know, I've heard about this and I'm in this sort of Christianish country and isn't that good enough? John would say the same to you. Don't say we have Abraham. Don't say you just have those things. The only thing that counts is you responding personally to Jesus. Who your father is, is of no importance when it comes to salvation. So is true for those of you who were brought up in a Christian family. Maybe your parents uh, were or are Christians. Maybe you, you grew up in a Christian environment of of parents who loved and followed Jesus. Well, that's great. Praise God for that and for them, bringing you up in a way that honours the Lord. That's good. That's to be thankful for. But it doesn't save you. Don't say we have Abraham. Are you relying on the faith of your parents, some of you this morning? Are you thinking, well, you know, I know my parents love Jesus, so isn't that enough? You know, I know they take me to church, Isn't that good enough? Listen to what John's saying to you this morning. Don't say we have Abraham. It's about your response to Jesus personally. Are you relying on the faith of your parents or maybe your friends? Are you responding to Jesus personally? Friends, it's so important. It's easy to come here week by week. To think you're following Jesus almost by osmosis as you're around those who are. Let me ask you, have you decided to follow Jesus for yourself? Are you a disciple this morning? You see, you need to make a personal decision to follow Jesus. Only you can do that. And Jesus would invite you to do that even this morning. Even now, even whilst you're in this context, thinking, well, yeah, I come here week by week, or a friend brings me, or my parents bring me, or I get dragged along, or I just end up here. That's great. But have you decided to follow Jesus for yourself? Are you a disciple? Is there fruit being produced in your life? This is what we were looking at a little bit earlier. People were wondering if this John guy was the Christ. They are wondering, is this the one who is prophesied about? Is this the one who is going to come? Is this him, they were saying? And John was very clear. No, was his answer. There will be someone else that's going to come. So they were waiting. They were expectant. They were looking forward. They were excited. Jesus was to come, and actually very soon. Because we see in just a few verses time that... Jesus appears on the scene. John said that Jesus will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And we'll look at that in a couple of weeks' time. Hopefully the band can come up, please, as we wrap this up and conclude for this morning. John's job was to prepare the way for the Lord. Actually, that's our job as well. Have you thought about that? John's task was to make the road straight, to repair the way for Jesus to come, to to get people ready. 
in order that they might see Jesus and encounter him. Have you thought about it? That's our job as well, isn't it? That's our job, to prepare the way for the Lord. Yes, the Holy Spirit goes ahead of you and works in people's lives, unseen by you and I. But actually, it's our job as well to prepare the way for the Lord. Are you building that bridge of friendship with someone that Jesus can walk across? Are you preparing the way for the Lord? You should be like the road worker, building a road. You're just building something for somebody else to walk down. In our case, it's for the Lord to walk into someone's life. Let me ask you, are you a disciple this morning? Are you following Jesus? Are you producing fruit? Is there fruit that is being produced in your life? Are you relying on just your family or your friends' relationship with Jesus to save you? Or have you decided for yourself to follow Jesus? Friends, even this morning, you can make a decision, maybe for the first time, to follow the Lord, to respond to his invitation that says, follow me. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray as we close. We're going to sing together in just a moment. Let's just close our eyes and be quiet before the Lord for a moment. I haven't necessarily planned to finish this message like this, but I just just feel I want to pause for a moment. Having issued a challenge and saying, Are you a disciple? Having asked the question, are you following Jesus? Have you made a decision to follow him for yourself? Or are you relying on the faith of your friends or family? I just want to pause for a moment and allow you a chance to respond to that. If that's you this morning, I'd love to pray with you. Explain some more to you. Just as we close our eyes before the Lord, let's just... Every eye closed. This morning, if you'd like to put your trust in Jesus, maybe for the first time, decide to follow him for yourself rather than just rely on the faith of your friends or maybe your parents, just as every eye is closed, let's just raise your hands. I'd love to pray with you. So I'll wait for a moment. You raise your hand and I'll pray with you. So important, friends, you don't rely on just the faith of your parents or your friends. You don't follow Jesus by osmosis, just by tagging along because others do. But a disciple makes a personal decision. Have you made that personal decision for the Lord? Father, I want to thank you that you invite us into a personal relationship with you. Well, thank you. It's not about just a crowd following you. It's not just about a whole number of people. But, Lord, personally, you call us 
to follow you. Personally, you call us into a relationship with yourself. Lord Jesus, thank you for that. Thank you for the joy that brings. Thank you for the life we find in it. Lord, thank you for the grace that you give to us. Thank you for the grace that you supply to follow you on a daily basis. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the life that you call us into, Jesus. Help us to follow you, Lord. Lord, will there be fruits that is evident in our lives, not uh, because we're trying hard somehow, but because your spirit is at work, making us more like Jesus. Lord, we pray, would there be fruit that is demonstrated in our life, evidence of the life of God flowing through us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. The band are going to lead us in a song as we close. If you've got children in the kids' work, in the frog club or Christ, if you could go and get them now, please, as we sing. And just as we sing and worship the Lord together, if you think this morning, actually, you've been trying hard to follow Jesus, you've been working hard to see this fruit evident in your life, I just want to encourage you now to receive grace afresh this morning. And I'd love to pray with you if that's you. You might want to receive grace afresh in your life. Then as we sing and worship the Lord together, if you come to the front, then there'll be others who would love to pray with you and minister God's grace to you. Let's worship the Lord together. Jesus, thank you that your love is indeed wonderful to us. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you called us to follow you. Thank you, Lord, that that is sustained not by us trying harder or putting more effort in, but, Lord, it's sustained by your grace. And we love you for it. We thank you for it. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for speaking to us even this morning. We love you, Lord. We delight in your presence. We delight in knowing you. We delight in living our lives for your glory. We pray, Lord God, you continue with us now. Help us, Lord, to live for you. Lord, that you might be glorified in all that we say and all that we do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.